The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to Dropping In from Omega Institute, a podcast that explores the many ways to awaken the best in the human spirit. I'm Callie Alpert. Dropping in today, Matt Kahn. Matt is a spiritual teacher, empathic healer, and the best-selling author of Whatever Arises, Love That, Everything is Here to Help You, The Universe Always Has a Plan, and The Forthcoming Holding Space. Matt's spontaneous awakening arose from an out-of-body experience in early childhood and through what he calls direct experiences with ascended masters throughout his life. Using his intuitive abilities of seeing, hearing, feeling, and direct knowing, Matt brings forth revolutionary teachings that assist in healing the body, awakening the soul, and transforming reality through the power of love. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for dropping in virtually today. It's so good to see you and hear you. Uh, So great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a true honor. Thank you for making the time. (laughs) So I'd like to start this interview with a quote that I once heard from a very wise man. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. I love you. I love you. (laughs) I love you. So this is actually your quote. I don't know if you're going to call my bluff before I even said it. (laughs) Um, But this is your quote that you often say in your courses and engagements to rooms full of strangers. And I remember the first time I heard you do that and I thought, wow, Um, I'm curious, what does it mean to exude so much love to people you don't really know? And how does this mantra of yours redefine what it means to love? Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a great point and something I've actually never really thought about. Um, I think for me, after going through so many significant awakenings in consciousness, there's there's a couple reasons. One is that there's just this inherent recognition that no matter how we are acting, uh, no matter the motivations that really run our subconscious, and no matter what quality of human being we seem to be embodying on this planet, which of course is always going to evolve and change and grow, there's this inherent recognition that divinity is meeting itself in this human play. And I think for me, there became this very, it's interesting because it's almost like impersonal recognition that includes all the aspects of the person. And so for me, when I went through the awakenings I went through, there just became this natural respect for each person's spirit, Mm. even while watching the gritty details of the journey play out through their ego. Mm -hmm. And I think on a personal level, the other reason I have been a, you know, someone who has received these downloads from the universe is I spent so much of my early life, my childhood, my adolescence, people pleasing, trying to 
win popularity contests and really living a life of, you know, empathic codependency where I misunderstood mm-hmm. people's feelings as their opinions of me. So if people weren't always in a state of joy, I thought I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And what I found throughout my life is that it was more of an immediate sense of fulfillment to be respectful to other people, even if they weren't respectful back to me, than trying to get other people to see me a certain way, which after many years of doing this was just exhausting. And so a lot of times when people get into this experience of I'm tired of people pleasing and trying to win people's affection, sometimes people shut down and they just become resentful and shut off. Right, defeated. And for me, that really, for some reason, never happened. I just discovered that being nicer to other people, no matter how they were treating me, infused my body with the feeling of what it felt like when other people approved of me. And I think that for me, that was like a really clear shift. And I also found that in being nice to myself, although I was never truly mean to myself, I found that being nice to myself just as I'm nice to other people, really gave me the most fulfilling experience of every moment in time that, you know, things are going to happen, surprising things are going to occur, unexpected losses are going to occur, just like unforeseen gains will happen. Right. And if we can be nice to ourselves and respectful of each other without being a doormat or a people pleaser or enabling toxic abusive behavior, we find that instead of someone else holding the key to our fulfillment, we actually become the fulfillers of our own reality when we learn to engage with human beings in this heart-centered way. And so when I started to do the I love yous, which was very much inspired by the universe, it was very much using my voice to be like a microphone through which source would speak through and say to people the words maybe their subconscious was blocking, which is no matter where you are in your life, no matter what is happening, the universe is always supporting, encouraging, and loving you. And so I made this an interactive I love you process. And with no expectation, it just it just took off and became kind of this movement that we call the love revolution. And, I, and I'm just humbled by how it's expanded and just privileged and and honored to be a part of bringing more love to this planet. When you say those words to people that you're teaching or speaking Mm -hmm. to, or, you know, even in the virtual world that you don't know, I hear that you're saying your spirit is speaking through you and you're channeling a larger um, source Mm -hmm. voice. Yes. Are you feeling it also from yourself, like from your earthly human version of yourself? Yes, absolutely. You know, when you're an empathic being and you can feel everyone's energy, that's one level of unity consciousness. When you go through an awakening of consciousness and you realize that you are spirit and we're all spirit, that's a different awakening of consciousness. And there's a certain point when an empath awakens to where, and I think in awakening, it's very common. People go through these stages where they feel like they could fall in love with literally every person they meet. And That's some the people, dream, right? That's some, what I think everybody aspires to if you're on a spiritual path. And some people literally do that for a certain period of time. And um, But for me, that's how I actually feel is I feel a, a sense of love for every human being 
it's as if I'm feeling the love they desire from someone else. And I am just there as a light being reflecting it to them. And I, as I channel spirit saying, I love you through me, I literally feel on a personal level, love for every person I'm working with, even when I find out the details of their life and whether they've been abused or they've been a part of abusing others, there is a certain level of love that doesn't, of course, justify behavior. Right. But it's a love that can be best described as if you're a parent and the heart in every body is one of many children you have. That's how I describe it separating out the difference between the actions of someone and the essence of someone. Yeah, it's a right way to put it, you know, because we don't have to we don't have to justify someone's actions because of their essence and we don't have to judge someone's actions and negate their essence. I think there's a way that we can kind of, you know, broaden this conversation where I think sometimes one of the most sophisticated false levels of security people find on the spiritual path is thinking they have an understanding of how things do and don't work. <laughs> and I think that that causes us to oversimplify things. And I think that there's actually a rather complex or a needed complexity where there is someone's essence that is pure love. There is someone's actions, which is how much of that love has been realized or trickled into their um, operating system. And so it can't just be this overly simplified, I love it when you do things I like and I hate you when you do things I don't like. Because that, of course, is perpetuating suffering in our lives and the lives of other people. So I think it's really, you know, love, is, love as the answer is a very simple mantra and campaign, but it's a simple solution as we expand this conversation to include the complexities of life where there are both human egocentric actions and there is a transpersonal transcendent essence. And how do we reconcile both without being the micromanagers of our everyday lives? And that's, I think, the solution that love brings to all of us which seems like it lends itself to the concept that love for ourselves mm. and our love for others needs to ideally cover mm. all of those different layers, including, yes. if not especially on certain days, the shadowy parts, the parts that aren't fully integrated yet. Absolutely. That, right, because that leads yeah. to that integration, does it not? Well, absolutely, because, you know, there, there's a certain point where just as any parent would find out when raising a child, there's a point when a parent has to say to a child that behavior is not acceptable. And there's there's a learning curve. There is a course correction. But the child should never forget how much they're loved. And so I think really love takes many shapes and forms. Love is equally the hand we reach out to someone in need. Love is reminding someone they're never alone, even if they feel isolated, lonely, and left behind in some way. Love is also the grace of a mother or a father pulling their child out of potential harm as they wander in oncoming traffic. So I think that we have to really look at love as a spectrum of expressions and that there's a way in which we love ourselves when we are still working out and buffering out some of our egocentric patterning. And I think that that kind of love doesn't have to be fierce in, in, in a negative way, but it's really about 
boundaries for ourselves, boundaries we create with other people so that we're not mistreated on any level. But at the same time, also having that soft, permissive love that says, hey, it's okay. You tried your best. Let's try again. And I think sometimes, and I, I talked about this at a retreat I just led a week ago. I talked about this really incredible imbalance that I find in most people on the spiritual path, which is they're either more compassionate than they are self-aware or more self-aware <laughs> than they are compassionate. And when we are more compassionate than self-aware, we're very permissive. We are enablers to unconscious patterns in ourselves, and we enable other people to take advantage of us. And when we're more self-aware than compassionate, everything's in its box, everything is black and white, and we could justify some unsavory behavior in the name of a greater good, which is not better than anything else at the end of the day. So I think really what I'm talking about or what we're discussing is, the, is how love fundamentally allows us to be as compassionate as we are self-aware and as self-aware as we are compassionate. And I laugh because I'm thinking um, that those two things are really opposite sides of the same coin, right? There is yeah. really, and it's the, the nuances in between that, the, the messiness in between that is, I believe, the, where the real learning is, where the real curriculum is, right? If those lines are so clean that you describe, it feels like they preclude each other. They cancel each other out from somebody continuing on the ride that, the very ride that they're looking to be on. Absolutely. In fact, you said said that, <laughs> and this is being recorded. <laughs> I want to use that as a title: the messiness in between. That, it's yours. Like, oh, thank you. Oh my God, happy Hanukkah to me. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think it's. I think it's either whether it's a long entry or whatever. I think it's a great title: the messiness in between, because, you know, again, it's what 2021. I mean. How much have we gone through as, as individuals and as a planet over the last two years? Mm -hmm. You know, it's time for us to um, try to think of an analogy. Here's the analogy. I think I, I think I did this at the last Omega retreat. But it's like when you learn karate at a dojo. And, you know, you're practicing. People throw a punch or a kick and they hold it. So you get to practice doing your snazzy blocks and you, you spar and it's in a controlled setting where you go, I think I know how this karate thing works. And then God forbid you get into a fight outside of the mm -hmm. dojo and it's fast, it's ugly, it's not pretty. <laughs> and, and I think that that analogy is funny for the spiritual journey because how many times have people gone for 30, 25, 40 years and lifetimes on a spiritual path? They decide where to sit, where not to sit, how long I stay. <laughs> get up and leave how much I want to listen or not listen, right? It's all up to you. Mm -hmm. But then you bring that into real life and the rule book is thrown away. Other people don't follow the same rules. Other people don't care about your spiritual journey. Other people don't even know how to care about themselves, let alone care about another person. So I think in that analogy, how do we take what we learned in controlled settings and apply it to a world that is more like a jungle. And that's what I think <laughs> love when taught in a very conscious way, or as I like to call holding space, is a very powerful way to learn how you can be fulfilled without needing other people to always meet you. You're reminding me of what I believe Ramda said about, you know, you want to see how spiritual you are, you, <laughs> you know. 
you, you, you come off the mountain, you come out of the ashram, go spend a week with your family, and then you'll see right. how spiritual you are, right? Or, you know, go hang out in the middle of Fifth Avenue, New York City, once you, <laughs> you know, climb out of the where, wherever peaceful, uh, quiet place you've been studying and, you know, and being a monastic and austere, and then you'll really see how spiritual you are. Well, you know what I love about that quote by Ram Dass? which I love Ramdas. You know, I have had the fortune of meeting him and he actually named me, although I don't use that spiritual name publicly. Uh, incredible being, and I, and I loved him when I met him. But what I think is funny about that quote is imagine back in the 70s when he probably said that, imagine that it took a week with your family to get triggered. <laughs> exactly, rather like, than an hour. Time is sped up where it's like, now the quote needs to be, think you're enlightened, <laughs> call your parents, read their texts, because, you know, in texting, we don't know intonation. We only read it in our voice. We only read it in how we define other characters. So you read a text. Oh, really? And we all think everyone's being sarcastic and passive aggressive. Ooh, what are you avoiding? It's So I like how that quote gives that you would need a week. Whereas now it's like, hey, you think you're enlightened? Think about your past for a half a second. Check your email. That is, that's really that's that's a really funny distinction. <laughs> I'm sure he's smiling down on that thought right now. Your work supports the awakening and the evolution of all people, mm -hmm. and the world has obviously been going through such an unprecedented time mm -hmm. in recent years of fear and uncertainty and the dismantling mm -hmm. of infrastructure. So I ask you spiritually, mm -hmm. what the heck is going on? <laughs> That's a question everyone's asked in so many different ways. What do you think has been going on? Well, I mean, I think the one of the one of the positive aspects of a time like this in history is, you know, people don't need to walk around wondering when the apocalypse is going to happen or hey, what about that book of revelation? And uh, this is book of revelation the musical. I mean, what hasn't <laughs> happened in the last 2 years like you know what I mean? Like what a dead fish going to show up on the shore and I mean, what's, what's next. But I, I think when we look at a pattern of how consciousness expands and ripples out from an individual to a collective consciousness, there's a certain pattern and formula was taught by the universe. And that is absorption foreshadows transcendence. And what that means is that individually or collectively, we have to be absorbed in a certain state, a certain emotional pattern. We have to be absorbed in it for a certain amount of time to build up the pressure that leads to the release and inevitable transcendence of that pattern. So humanity has been steeped in fear because it's actually foreshadowing an inevitable transcendence out of fear. Uh, humanity has been very steeped in division. We've talked about systemic racism more than ever in history. And we're exposing that through, you know, some of the abuses that happen in law enforcement or the racial profiling or the way things are taught in certain school systems. And I think we're being steeped in a sense of separation. And even if you want to look at it as, you know, what side are you on? Are you vaccinated or not vaccinated? And are you a Democrat or Republican? Are you a moderate or a liberal? But I don't, I don't even know what those two words mean, to be honest. I just know the terms. Because um, I'm a humanitarian and spiritual being not, not a politician, but we are experiencing so much separation because we are preparing to release and transcend it. And so I think that when we understand that type of pattern, we can actually hold space for the intensity of absorption. 
Mm-hmm. Even if we want to look at how people define themselves in their lives, in their social media platforms, uh, where it's wonderful that everyone has a chance to influence and help other people, but a lot of times it's being used to kind of create this facade of how you wish your life really was. Again, we're absorbed in identity because we're preparing to transcend it. And so I think that helps us be able to have the faith to be rooted in the peace, to be grounded in the presence, and of course, uh, centered in the love now through a time of absorption when we really need love the most mm-hmm. and not just waiting to get to the transcendence to open our hearts. This is really not only the most important time to become a heart-centered being, but if you can use this as a training ground to be heart-centered when a world is existing like this, there is literally nothing in existence that can shake or frighten you. So I look at this as the most fertile ground for one's awakening. And it's the most important time to learn how to be a heart-centered being. And as we master this, because we're having this experience to master absorption leading to transcendence, this is what gives birth and rise to a new world of unity consciousness. That's such a reassuring Mm. and hopeful, overarching theory. Thank you. For people to find some sense of peace, I believe. Yes, thank you. And then my follow-up question to that would be for people that might not resonate as much with this kind of language and or maybe so bogged down by their their individual and more local experience that they haven't, they're not at a place yet where they can look at it in such an overarching way. So, you know, you talk so much in your teachings about the idea of praising everything and embracing what is. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to people that are going through their really dark time individually Mm -hmm. that might not, that might need some convincing? that what you just said and the bigger picture is the case. How do they embrace and lean into their, you know, their trials and tribulations in a way that can maybe help them? I think that, you know, the the way that we we bridge this, we talk about creating a bridge, Mm -hmm. is through a bridge of self-acceptance. And when the way I teach self-acceptance is a little more radical. So I wouldn't say to someone who doesn't believe this, I wouldn't say, I need you to accept that this is the way it is so that you can feel better. Even if I was to present it as you're suffering and this is the way out of hell, if you could only just accept this one thing. What I'd rather do is be more radical and say, can we accept that there will be a time where you will learn to find nourishment from within yourself and not define reality by the actions of other people. But can you accept that you're not quite there yet? You will be there yet. I'm not quite sure what I need to get there. I know that's where I'm gonna go someday, but right now I'm still steeped in judging the world by the way it behaves and blaming it for my experience. I know it's not where I'm gonna be forever. I'm gonna see things from a bigger perspective, And it better be some Christmas miracle that shifts it because I'm not going to do anything about it. But I will accept that this might be somewhere in the future I go. And I accept I'm nowhere close to being there right now. And if someone were to say that, and if their ego wasn't defined as a spiritual character who would think that saying that was a moment of defeat, we actually feel openness, we actually feel support, and we actually find that we feel the most supported when we are the most honest about our experience. Because the more honest we are about our experience, 
strangely, the more objective we get about it. Most people are so personal about their experience because they're not honest with themselves about it. Even with themselves, it's almost like how I want to be seen to myself instead of just the brutal honesty of, look, Matt, what you're saying is probably true. Maybe it's not true, who knows? Maybe I'll be there one day, but right now, could care less. Not there's so much. Hatred, there's hatred in my heart and I still have some hatred to play out. And if someone were to say that that consciously, it would literally start to untangle and unplug all of what motivates them to mistreat themselves or harm one another. And that's what's so radical about self-acceptance. I think that would be the bridge I would suggest. It does feel like in that, if people were to just give themselves a permission slip to feel their truths, that that would accelerate their process more than they'd ever even realized without doing anything much, anything more than that That's in true. the short term. Well, and I think the reason for that is because when you are honest with yourself, even so honest that you kind of don't like the character that you are acting out, right? Like most people want to do nothing but seen for the opposite. You know, it's very common when we're ego structures, right? There's a painting of our actions, but then there's a caption. And people say, no, 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 don't look too deep at the painting. Just read the caption. <laughs> like the little bubble above the read, head, right? Or read the little paragraph on the side. Look at how wonderful a human being I am. Don't look at my actions. But, and I think what's interesting is when we accept at that level, just being honest up with ourselves, no matter how awful it feels to just admit how we actually are, we are actually inviting our conscience our conscience being the way our consciousness guides us to make choices when in alignment with our highest ethics and values. Have you lost any popularity contests with yourself lately? Hmm. That's and you know what I mean by that question. I do. I do. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, I don't tend to lose a lot of popularity. From a very young age, I have always been on my side. I may not have liked how other people have treated me. I may have felt an unfairness about, I give this much and I get this little back. Um, you know, and I've had those experiences. And when I was really young, I could judge and be mad at people for how they show up, which is just this feeling of unfairness of, I wish I was having different experiences. I wish I was being treated the way I treat other people. But if I really look at my life, I mean, there are times where I'm going through, you know, upgrades and I need to rest or maybe days where I'm just kind of processing something. So I'm just, you know, I'm not always in a ecstatic roll, on the, roll around on the ground state of joy. You know what I mean? I'm not like always in a Madonna video or something like, oh, my God, like, oh, my God, I'm such an enlightened being. Uh, I, just, I was folding laundry and I started to roll around in it because it smells so good. But but I I. I I really cannot tell you, honestly, the last time I, I've ever turned on myself, even when I went through this last three years where I went through a really incredible, heart-shattering healing um, that I went through. I was, and, and I don't say this because this is how I'm trying to present myself, but just the actual testimony is, I was so there for myself and I was so there with myself and 
I can't actually tell you why or how I do that. I just think there are certain qualities that are inherent to people's beings that allow them to do the work they do. And for me, I think it's part of why I am able to do the work I do on such a level that helps so many people is because there is just something within me and whether the awakenings blew it out of my system or whatever the case may be, I can be sad. I can be lonely, right? If the jar doesn't open in the first three tries, I can be frustrated. You know, I haven't cussed at a human being in like 30 years. I've sworn at a few pickle jars. <laughs> not even in traffic? No. <laughs> no, people cut me off all the time. And I'm not the, I, like, I don't drive. I'm not the fastest driver. I take my time. Mm-hmm. If you want to go, hey, like I always leave early. I'm never late. There's a certain way I live my life and I'm fine with it. And I'm not like, I keep up with the flow of traffic, but I'm just, I'm not a speedy driver. So if you have to go somewhere, hey, but I, I really, I, I don't, even in traffic, I rarely use my horn. I just stop. Hope they see me. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. We'll see. <laughs> I'm listening to my music. And, but yeah, I, I, I can't say that I, it's a, here's the, it's funny as I'm thinking about my life as I'm talking to you. I think there's a certain point of your life where you don't exist in a popularity contest, meaning mm. there's a point where you have chosen you where it's just about, like, it's kind of like a parent would be with a child. A parent is a child or a parent is a parent to the, to the child. And of course there are times I'm sure when a parent wishes they could give back the child and Hey, we got our receipt, please source, <laughs> please. No, no. Give us a Refund. credit. And if you only want to give us a credit for the clearance price, Hey, <laughs> We'll take it. Um, But there's a certain point where we love ourselves so much that we don't define ourselves as a commodity on an an emotional stock market to where, oh, I'm selling high. Now my price fell and uh, it's climbing back up again. There's a certain point where we are no longer engaged with what other people think of us. And there's not even a sense of what we think of us because we're not actually separate enough from ourselves to engage in either of those questions. So I guess that's really the answer as I just, you know, think back on my life for a second. It's that there, there's a certain level of oneness with ourselves in life to where we actually don't even objectify ourselves as what do I think of me? What do they think of me? And what mm-hmm. do I think of me if they think of me this way? And I think it's a very interesting point that I never actually, I haven't thought of in a long time. I'd like to go back to your reference to the last three years being difficult for you. Yeah. You've talked openly about sure. having a breakup. Yeah. Is it okay if we talk a little bit about that? Of course, absolutely. I'm curious if when you're in a, um, a challenged place in your life, when you're yeah. so used to guiding others, can you still heed your own wisdom and does your wisdom speak as loudly as it does for you as it does for other people actually it's a great question it actually does Mm -hmm. um you know the universe helped me through every moment of that breakup and and my heart broke several times in three years um with a relationship coming back together and you know you know which was a great journey that i'm so blessed to have taken with 
um, with with that with that beloved in my in my life, then we're still incredible friends, and I'm I'm grateful. And I and if I had the chance to do it over again, I would choose it over again and again and again. You because know? of the lessons. Because of who I became as a result, and to be perfectly honest, I would endure that a hundred thousand times over for the chance to love her again, honestly. And th that's how deep my love was and is for, and will always be for her. And so it was during those times when I needed Matt Kahn the most. And for someone that I represent a lot of healing for a lot of people, whether on YouTube at my events and worldwide, um, for me, this is not something I just do on a stage and I go home and take off the cape. This is, this is my way of life. And I needed Matt Kahn the most in the last three years. And I was the one I leaned on and it was my ability to channel for myself. Sometimes I would sit in a room as if I was on stage and I would channel just for me. And I would literally fill the room with the same healing energy I do at events. And I would just channel to no one but me. And I went through some of the deepest pain I've ever felt in my life, some of the deepest sadness and disappointment, and I could have been resentful, and I could have, you know, after all the people I serve in the world, there's just one little thing I want. You know, I could have, but for me, there is such a love I have for life. There's such a love I have being one with the universe. And and there's 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 just a, there's just a point where, we have so much respect for the pain and the healing journey that we can't pretend something less is happening or something more petty is happening. So it was really, you know, to the credit of Matt Kahn, he really got me through these last three years. And in exchange, <laughs> I've become Matt Kahn's personal chef, which delights <laughs> his palate greatly. And so it's a great demonstration of unity consciousness where what I have done for other people, I, I did and always do for myself. Well, thank you. I appreciate that candor and that vulnerability. That can be so helpful, I think, to our listeners yeah, that are going you. through similar situations. Well, and you know, just, a, just, a, just another aside on that, I remember a friend came over when I was going through the depths of the depths, and everyone has their own way of being helpful. You know, and sometimes people say, what, what did you learn from this? Um, and a friend of mine asked me that question, like, what have you learned from this? But it was, but I could feel, I could feel just the subtlety of that question. It wasn't like a true, what have I learned from this? It was almost like it was coming from this weird place of what have you learned from this? So to ensure it never happens again, mm. you know, just that subtle, mm -hmm. I'm going to hurry up and learn all my life lessons so I can manifest differently, right? That whole negotiation. And I turned to them and I said, I learned that I can really take a hit. And they said, what do you mean? I said, my entire life, I've literally been afraid of being emotionally, physically beat, beaten up. I've been afraid of being jumped and beaten up and physically assaulted. And I've been afraid of people. And I've been people pleasing to keep people from attacking me for whatever reason. And I learned I can take a hit. I can get knocked into another dimension and have every cell of my body scatter across the universe and it will come back together greater than ever before. So I learned I could take a hit. I learned how resilient I truly am as a being. And they said, well, what would you do differently in your next relationship? And I looked at them and I said, I would love deeper 
and harder mm-hmm. than ever before. And I said, and it's that willingness to love more that really taught me who I was at the end of this relationship. Like it wasn't like, oh, I don't want to be too attached because what if you lose it? Like I don't have that kind of cerebral avoidant mental process. Like you don't want to get too close to love because it can hurt you. <laughs> right. I'm I'm on the Shakespeare side. <laughs> I'm on the Shakespeare side where it's like better to have loved and lost than to never have loved again. I'll, if I'm in pain, I'll do a monologue. Give me a skull. I'll hold it. <laughs> I'll do Hamlet. It will be amazing or Macbeth, whatever that was. That's the side I'm on is that the pain I went through freed me to love at an even higher level with even less fear of what's going to happen because I've already gone through what for me was inconceivable. I'm seeing some jet propeller energy (laughs) underneath you, like to, you know, like a stealthy resolve to push you even further and deeper into whatever your next chapter is. Mm. Um, And speaking of sustaining joy and connectivity and creativity, (laughs) which is sort of the uh, umbrella theme of our, of our show today. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the biggest block we have collectively and individually to sustaining joy and feeling connected with our fellow humans? Mm, That's really, really interesting. The greatest block I think is, hmm, I'm going to, of course, I'm going to give an overarching, overarching answer. I think the greatest block we have as human beings is a flawed system of distribution. And what I mean by that is that we have people who have a lot and we have a lot of people who have very little. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of people who are struggling to make ends meet, who don't have opportunities other people do. And when we have aspects of our society, whether you would think of it as underprivileged neighborhoods, and now we start to see more of like cities and states that are just in certain levels of socioeconomic uh, balance or imbalance, Mm-hmm. The, the more opportunities or resources lack in any community, the more a human being has to get desperate and separate from their conscience in making decisions to, quote unquote, do what they have to do for their own self-preservation, their own uh, wealth, or to s- the sustainability of their own family. To someone who lives in a neighborhood who has no opportunity to go to a college to better themselves and to live out the dreams that they have. And in their neighborhood, the only option is sell drugs or be a part of a gang. And I mean, this is a tremendous example, but for anyone to say what the block of humanity is and not see that the blockages are actually created by a flawed distribution system, because if everyone had more of an equal opportunity for uh, fresh organic fruits and vegetables, education and opportunity, then some of the things that people seek to make ends meet or some of the artificial external things people seek for false levels of comfort wouldn't lure people into a different type of internal spiral. So I think that societally speaking, as we become greater in our distribution, which to me is not a political thing, it's actually a community thing. Mm. As communities come together to say, hey, I had five cans of, you know, vegetables in my pantry that are buried in the back and still have six months of shelf life. 
I'm going to go down to a food, food, um, a food bank Mm -hmm. pantry, and I'm going to give it so that they, people can be fed. Then I'm actually being a part of a distribution system. And the more people that can be fed and nourished by a distribution system, whether it's education, food or whatever, that's when people are no longer in such a, such a socioeconomical state of victim consciousness or survival mode. And then we can actually start acting and making choices from our conscience, from our spirit, instead of just treading water in attempt to make ends meet. So for me, I think that's the really smart answer that for these times in 2021 needs to be addressed. I mean, we could say spiritually, people have forgotten their spirit, they're separate, they're blah, blah, blah. We, we, could, we could give that answer. Are you answer. mocking spiritual teachers? Oh, am I? <laughs> <laughs> am I? <laughs> I think what I am, I think what I like to highlight is what is outdated, expired, and broken. And I think that the right conversation has to be our vibration is not demonstrated by a lack of thoughts. Our vibration is not demonstrated by how good we feel in an uninterrupted state of whatever. Our vibration is not determined by how long we can meditate without being disrupted by other people's actions. Our vibration is defined by what we do to assist in redistributing wealth, opportunity, and goods and services for the benefit of all beings. That to me is true unity consciousness. So in short, just to finish that train of thinking before Mm -hmm. we get to our final three rapid fire questions today, would the simple wrap up on that be that first collectively as society, we need to really decide that Mm -hmm. with intention that that's what we aim to do? Yeah, I think what it has to be is that, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a two way street spirituality when you're in your alone time is about your own self-exploration, your own nurturance of self-compassion, right? Where you're doing all the different things you need to do to become more self-aware and equally self-compassionate. And the other part of the spiritual journey is how you come back out from going within. And it becomes the way in which you live your life. And it becomes not just making sure that you are being a pillar in your community and being a leader in your family, but maybe as a family trip once a month, you know, maybe every time you go to the grocery store, you buy one extra can. And at the end of the month, you and your family and your children go down to a food bank and you give it to, a, and, and you feel how good it feels to help other people f- be fed, or you and your family donate time at a shelter. As we talk about at Omega a lot, it's where personal growth meets social impact. I love the that. two can't live without each other. You really can't. Within and without, right? <laughs> Like that would be like someone standing there, their village is burning to the ground around them. And they're like, yeah, but do you see how brightly my chakras are shining? Have you ever seen my vibration this high? Have you, I mean, seriously, I don't even want to move because I'm going to ruin it. Have you ever, I mean, yeah, the people, yeah, the village is on fire. I see that. But, but have you ever in your life seen a, a, a light body this activated? And we laugh because laughter is how we process um, the inconceivable nature of imbalance in life. And it's how we make peace with injustice and start to turn things around in the right direction. So it's funny because we can find the truth in it. 
So finally, I would like to ask you three questions that I like to ask every guest. First, I'd like to grant you one wish for our listeners. What would it be? Oh, one wish for the listeners would be to be so whole in themselves that their greatest joy would be sharing something in their life with another person. So I think the wish would be, yes, I want all listeners to be whole, sovereign, loved, connected, so that other people can benefit from the generosity that comes from that aligned way of living. What is something you wish for yourself? Mm, what do I wish for myself? Well, I am very excited about meeting the woman I'm meant to be with one day. I'm a, I'm a hopeful romantic, so I, I, I very much am excited about that. I'm not, you know, rushing around looking for it, but I'm, I'm, I'm very ready in my life to, to have that type of relationship. And on a personal level, I'm very excited about that. And also, if it was a two-part wish. Sure. Um, I would say that you know, in addition to my spiritual teaching as a passion, I like to cook. It's something that's really become a part of my life. And I, I would love to one day have, have my show on the Food Network. So be it. So be it. And so it is. And finally, what is the most important offering or tip you'd like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? That's a wonderful question. I would say that there is no time in our lives when we are unworthy of love. That loving ourselves is not about loving the sadness, loving the hatred, because that's kind of a, you know, oh, I love it. No, no one loves it. I think what the shift is, like with my book title was Whatever Rises Love That, people thought I meant like that as in the external, because that's where our Westernized culture focuses us on the external. But really that is actually you. So it's not loving sadness, but loving the you that is sad. Not loving fear, but loving the one who's in fear. And so I think that really, when we see that when we're feeling any which way, low or high, that's when we deserve the most amount of acceptance, praise, acknowledgement, and validation. And whether it's a great high or a tremendous low, whether we like how we feel or wish it was somehow different, can we love ourselves the way we wish others could love us? Can we be that for ourselves and when we do, we find the wholeness and the fulfillment that literally starts to transform our hearts and our lives from the inside out. And then from that space of self-love, we find it instinctive to be the change we wish to see in the world. Well, I thank you so much <laughs> for thank making you. the time today to have this conversation with me. Thank so you. inspired and so insightful. If our listeners would like to learn more about you, where can they find you? Well, my website is mattcon.org. That's M-A-T-T-K-A-H-N.org. And you can sign up for my free newsletter. It goes out every Sunday. You get a free download when you sign up. And there's an events calendar of, you know, events, whether in person or virtual. And, you know, it's just an honor to be here with you. I love the Omega Institute so much. And I'm so excited to return to in-person teachings. And I know that when I do, Omega and your beautiful tahini salad dressing are the tops of my list. <laughs> we look forward to that. Thank you so much. Thanks for dropping in with Omega Institute. If you like what you hear, tell your friends 
and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new ears find us. Dropping in is made possible in part by the support of Omega members. To learn more, visit eomega.org slash membership and check out our many online learning opportunities featuring your favorite teachers and thought leaders at eomega.org slash online learning. I'm Callie Alpert, producer and host of Dropping In. The music and mix are by Scott Mueller. Thanks for dropping in.